um, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and then chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. This is actually chapter 1 and chapter 3. If you're in the church Bibles, this is um, page 628. This is what the Lord says. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Biri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diflaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruchamach, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ruchamach, Goma had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute 
or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep your Bible open uh, in chapter 1 and with one finger on chapter 3 for later. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank you again for the invitation. It's a privilege for me to bring God's word to us this morning. And I'm aware that at St. Barnabas, you are going through a series on the minor prophets. Then you probably are able to say that Hosea will be a... <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Good deduction. Uh, but before we get into the text, uh, let me tell you some historical background to Hosea's ministry so we can understand a bit better what Hosea is talking about. The ministry of Hosea as a prophet covered a relatively long period from 753 BC to 725 BC. That's almost 30 years of ministry, which is to say that the prophet, that Hosea was a prophet from the late period of Jeroboam II to the reign of the last king of Israel, Hosea, which is few years before Israel's exile in 722 BC. Through this time, Israel's political leadership was very unstable. Kings were constantly murdered, and dynasties did not long for very long. Did, did not last for very long. But you can read more about this in uh, about this period in the book of Kings, Second Kings, chapters 14 to 17. In addition to that, the spiritual situation of Israel was terrible. They continue in the sins of Jeroboam the first. Do not confuse Jeroboam the second and Jeroboam the first. So they continue with the sins of Jeroboam the first, which means that Israel committed idolatry for almost 200 years. 200 years of idolatry, despite the constant warnings of God. The, king of the, northern, the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel look for help and stability not in God, but in alliances with other, with other nations. The priests, on the other hand, pervert, perverted all the religious practices established by the law. Moreover, beyond the borders of, the, of, the, of Israel, the empire of Assyria kept expanding and putting pressure on the territories of Israel. Can you more or less get the picture of the context now? It was a real chaos. Nonetheless, 
that in the time of Jeroboam II, there was a sense of prosperity in the land. The kingdom of Israel expanded, and some of the people in Israel were able to accumulate wealth. You can read more about that in Amos 3.15. To put it into a sentence, Israel during the time of Hosea's ministry was financially prosperous, but in decay in their political and religious affair. This was the context where Hosea spoke to. Now, I hope you are not misguided by the financial prosperity of Israel. I hope you can notice that, the, that this situation is alarming for a nation that once was rescued by God from Egypt, a nation that God made a covenant with, and a nation that was set apart from other nations to be with God. The circumstances in which God's word came to Hosea were far from being ideal. Okay, that's the historical background or context. I, I like to call it context because when we think about background, sometimes we don't think that that context is interacting with people in that time. Uh, yeah, just as an example, my background is from Peru, my mom was from Japanese family, and you could think, oh, then Andres does this and that because his Japanese background. But the truth is that I never had like a Japanese upbringing. So that was not my background, was my context. You get the idea of, yeah. Okay. Okay, so let us jump into the text. But before we do that, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are completely dependent on you. And that, and that is why we come to ask you, Lord, that you may open our hearts and minds to your word. May you help us to understand your word so that it can become alive in our life through the work of the Spirit. Help us not to harden our hearts as the Israelites did, but help us to respond in repentance and obedience. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. It is not an easy task to cover a whole book in one sermon. But lucky for us, the heart of Hosea's uh, message is condensed, is concentrated in the story of his marriage in the first three chapters of the book. And I hope after this sermon, you are more eager to go and read Hosea's oracles in chapters 4 to 14 by your own. I think particularly White will be very happy to hear that you guys are reading more than neglected prophets. <laughs> Sorry, the minor prophets. I like how you said the major message of the minor prophets. Yeah. Uh, so I would like to share with you three points this morning from the passage we, have, we just read. And the first one is God loves with crazy love. God loves with crazy love. So right at the beginning in, in verse 2, we read that God's instructions to Hosea, God marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. What a crazy instruction 
from God? Why would God ask something like this? I mean, Hosea, he was a prophet, and he needs to go and marry an unfaithful woman. I got married not long ago, and I remember constantly having this question in my head. Do I know her enough? Do I know her enough to ask her out? Do I know her enough to start dating? Do I know her enough to propose? Do I know her enough to say, I do? I felt I needed to know Annika better before every step we took in our relationship. And I think most of married people here could identify with that. Uh, well, I hope. <laughs> Maybe I was just a weird, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you normally ask people around you, right? People that you think are important. Maybe your friends, your family members, your pastor. Um, you ask them, what do they think about this special friend that you would like to get to know a bit better? But imagine the situation with Hosea. He takes prophet Amos, who was a contemporary of Hosea. Well, I'm, I'm, imagine this, right? What's up? He texts Amos, prophet Hosea to prophet, it says prophet Hosea typing. Uh, so he texts, hey my brew, <laughs> what do you think about this girl? And Amos reply, which girl Hosea? And Hosea answers, right, Gomer, Gomer. And Amos says like typing, typing, <laughs> right? Uh, Gomer, wait, Gomer, Gomer, da Gomer. And Hosea is like, yes, Gomer, isn't she nice? And Amos was probably like, sure, uh, too nice perhaps. <laughs> or imagine Hosea walking with, with Gomer a few days after their wedding around the northern kingdom and people commenting behind his back, isn't he the prophet Hosea? Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, this ma marriage was absolutely crazy. It was, it was crazy as it sounds today. Now, that was not a common practice in the, of a prophet in the ancient Near East. It was absolutely crazy to do something like that. A very risky move, you might say. Now, you, you notice by now, that English is not my first language. And you know what is the hardest part of English, at least for me? Idioms. <laughs> I tend to take them literal and I'm trying to figure them out. And I learned this idiom not long ago. He or she is a keeper. Well, Gomer was definitely not a keeper. I can imagine that she was not even a keeper to the eyes of the society as a whole. She was probably rejected by her own neighbors, her own friends, her own family. But God asked Hosea to marry Gomer, an unfaithful woman. Now you need to notice that marriage in the Bible represents an intimate relationship. And not surprising, the relationship between Christ and the church is also portrayed in marriage language. God's vision of marriage should be a reason to rejoice, to celebrate. However, the story of Hosea 
does not lead us into that direction. God asked Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman. But why? When we look at the second part of God's words to Hosea, we can identify already part of the answer. God God says in verse 2, For like an adulterous wife, this land, the land of the northern kingdom, is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. There is a parallel between Hosea's marriage and God's relationship with Israel. Hosea, like God, marries an unfaithful woman. And Gomer, like Israel, commits adultery against her husband. Now, out of the sudden, God's command to Hosea does not sound that crazy. God himself is in a relationship with an unfaithful people. And I could emphasize the demands of loyalty and exclusivity of a marriage to help us understand the problem of the matter. But I won't do that this morning. I would rather would like to emphasize God's love that risks everything for his people. As Hosea's reputation is at stake, God's reputation as a holy God is at stake. However, praise God, because he is a God that is slow to anger and great in kindness. God, knowing Israel's unfaithful heart, embarks himself in this relationship. He is committed and faithful to Israel, despite Israel's unfaithfulness. He does not leave, does not give up on them, rather he risks everything for Israel. Now, in the same way, God loves his love for you. And this is the harsh part to hear of the message. In this history, we should avoid to identify ourselves with Hosea. You and me, we are like Gomer. We are that unfaithful and promiscuous wife. Our heart's tendency is to turn away from God. Our daily actions gravitate to dishonor him. But just as Hosea married Gomer, besides the things he knew about her, God also loves you besides the things he knows about you and me. He remains faithful when we are unfaithful. His love is patient. His love is gracious. His love is even prior to our love for him. So it is not God's command that is crazy, but but his love for you and for me. He loved you with crazy love. Now, does this mean that he overlooks our unfaithfulness? The short answer to this is no. Sin is an offense to God. And we will see that Israel's unfaithfulness will cost them dearly. The second part of Hosea's marriage the story from verses 3 to verse 11 showed the consequence of the, of, the unfaithful, of the unfaithfulness of Israel. And this will be the second part of my sermon. God loves us with compassion. God loves us with compassion. Now, fruit of the marriage, Jose and Gomer have three children, 
uh, Anika and I, we don't have children yet, but we do have friends that are in that phase of life of uh, being fruitful and multiply. And I can remember when, when the date was closed for, for them to have children, like the due date, we will ask them about possible names. And it, it was funny because they will think over and over again which could be the right name to give to the children. I myself, when I think about names, if God allows us to have kids, my only concern is that there will be good names, that people won't mock them because of their names. Um, I don't know if you have the same concerns as me or if you had those concerns, but that's, that's what I think when I, I'm thinking about names, that they, they will be like nice names, that they, they won't be mocked because of them. And I mean, names will stay with you for a long time, right? <laughs> they, they are your names. And the, po the point is that names take an important place when it comes to having children, in the parenting decision of which name. That's an important part. And in this story, Hosea's story is no, is no different. The names of Hosea's and Gomer's children are significant to understand the terrible consequences of Israel's unfaithfulness. Jezreel, Lorumaha, and Loami declares God's discipline for his disobedient people. So let's look at the three names. Jezreel. We read, we read in verses 4 to 5, Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. We can notice here two prophetic words. One, I will soon punish the house of Jehu, and the second one, I will put to an end the kingdom of Israel. Both are communicating judgment over Israel's unfaithfulness. This means that ultimately the whole kingdom of Israel will come to an end. If someone was thinking in the northern kingdom, well, it's not the first time we have experienced a change of dynasty. Well, he was wrong. The whole kingdom will come to an end. To those who trusted in their armies or alliances with foreign nations and other kingdoms, God is saying, in that day, I will break Israel's bow. Jezreel is a symbol of judgment, and it means that the northern kingdom of Israel is hopeless. Lorumaha. In verse 6, God asked Hosea to call his second children Lorumaha, which means no love. But it would be better understand no love as no compassion or no mercy. If we, if we read the text, it says at the end of verse 6, I will no longer show love or mercy or compassion to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Israel, they have turned away from, from God. They have put their trust in idols, political powers, and other religious practices. Listen to some words that Hosea 
uses to describe Israel in his oracles in chapters 4 to 14. For example, in chapter 5, 4, he says, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their hearts. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Or in chapter 7, verse 3, he says, They delight the kings with their wickedness, the princes with their lies. And in chapter 10, 13, it says, You have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception. For all these reasons, God declares that they will find no mercy. Jezreel, the first uh, child, was a sign of the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, Lorumaha is a sign that God will have no mercy when the judgment comes. However, let us remember that the northern kingdom of Israel is not all the people of Israel. Oh, sorry, of God. If you remember, God's people divided into two kingdoms after the death of King Solomon, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. In verse 7, we can see that God is not rejecting all his people. He's rejecting those who have abandoned his, the covenant with him. Pay attention to the irony of the language in verse 7. Not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses of horsemen. These are exactly the things Israel thought they could use to be safe. Sadly, these things will not save them. They fail to acknowledge that salvation comes from the Lord. Thus, Lorumaha means that they will find no protection from God. They are left to their own devices, their idols, their political alliances, and their armies. So what hope do they have? Can this get any worse? Well, yes, there is a third child, Loami. Hosea and Gomer have a third child, which further explains the hopeless situation of the northern kingdom of Israel. God says in verse 9, Call him Loami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This reinforces what we have seen with the meaning of Lorumaha. It makes things official. It's like signing your divorce paper. That's official now. The covenant connection with them is broken and God will no longer say I will be your God and you will be my people like he said in Leviticus 26:12. Israel and faithfulness has come to the dissolution of the covenant and this is the consequence of almost 200 years of idolatry the more God called them into repentance the farther Israel moved away from God so May God help us to turn away from our own unfaithfulness. I'm of the idea that an expected turn of events, a plot twist, makes movies interesting or serious. Uh, and this is exactly what we find in verse 10 and verses 11. At the end of all these prophecies of judgment, there is a, 
a plot twist and we find prophecies of hope. Verse 10 says, Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted, which is a clear allusion to God's promises to Abraham in Genesis 22:17, which also reaffirms their status as God's people. In the place, carries on verse 10, in the place, referring to the northern kingdom territory, where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Verse 10 is suggesting that God's plan for Israel will prevail, prevail, that although judgment is coming to the northern kingdom due to their unfaithfulness, God's plan for Israel is not over. Hosea portrays the severity of God's judgment, but at the same time, the abundant grace of God. Judgment is coming for sure, but restoration will follow. The prophetic judgment of Hosea will be fulfilled when the Assyrian Empire conquers the northern kingdom and people are sent into exile in 722 BC. However, this will be not the end of God's people. They will come back to the land under the Persian king Cyrus in 538 BC which shows that there is hope, that there is a reversal of God's judgment in his grace. Now in verse 11 we read, The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together, they will appoint one leader, and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Verse 11 is suggesting that the, the redemption of God's people in future days will also restore the unity of his own people. No more northern kingdom, southern kingdom, but one kingdom under one leader, a Davidic, a Davidic messianic figure. And this is significant because we can see that sin have not the last word, but actually God's love and grace. God's love prevails an unfaithful Israel. His judgment is the beginning of the restoration of Israel. This shows that God loved his people with compassion. God, in his infinite love and wisdom, is able to use his judgment over Israel to restore them. That is why I say that God's love is not only crazy, but merciful. His justice and His grace are working together and both are motivated by the love of God and His holiness. But let me ask you something this morning. How are you unfaithful to God? Look, I think sometimes we try to be very spiritual about these questions. But I think part of the answer should be very practical. I mean, it was practical for Israel, political alliance, wealth, religious practices. Those were not like very spiritual. They were very practical. So maybe we should also think about our unfaithfulness in practical terms. So let me ask you 
some questions to help you think in practical terms. How do I spend my money? How do you spend your money? Do I spend it on myself? Am I thinking about others? Am I thinking about missions? Uh, am I thinking about the local church? Am I thinking about the poor, the needy? Am I putting in my mind the brother or the sister that is struggling financially among the congregation? How do I spend my own money? Look what Hosea says in chapter 2, 8. She has not a knowledge, by she he means Israel, has not a knowledge that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they use for Baal. Our provision comes from the Lord. Another question, how is your love for God? Is it only at home or maybe only around church people? Hosea chapter 6, 4 says, your love, the love of Israel, your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Or how is your work ethics? Hosea chapter 12, 7 to 8 describes Israel as this. The merchant uses dishonest scales and love to defraud. Ephraim, which is another word for the northern kingdom of Israel, Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. How are you unfaithful to God? Now let me move to my final point. God's love redeem us. God's love redeem us. Now this is the, the last part of the story of Hosea in chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. God says to Hosea, go and love her. Hosea must go and love the wife that left him. Gomer is now with another lover. She is an adulterous wife. She does not deserve Hosea's love at all. Go and love her, said God to Hosea. Hosea showed his love by paying for his wife. And this is a powerful representation of the gospel. We could even call it the gospel according to Hosea. God's love for his people is demonstrated in the price he paid for you and for me. He paid the price of our salvation by sending his only son to die on a cross. He paid this price for us knowing that we are like Gomer. His love and compassion rescue us from our sinful ways. He has granted in Christ our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. The new is here. God's love in Christ 
death in his death and resurrection has made you righteous in the eyes of God. You were like Gomer, but God paid the price for you. His love redeemed us. But we are like Gomer. And perhaps you are going through a rough time this morning. And you have considering to turn to other lovers. Perhaps you have deposited your trust in other things rather than God. Or maybe you are here listening to this sermon and you are thinking, it has been too long now to come back to God. Or maybe you are here with a divided heart. You are not willing to let go what you know you should let go. But let me encourage you this morning to come back to God, to wait in Him, to trust in Him. So as I close, let me just reassure you again about the message, the three points. God loves you with crazy love. God loves you with compassion. And He loves you so much that He sent His only Son to redeem you from your old ways. Let us not turn our backs against God. Let us not be an unfaithful people. Hosea's message is a calling to repentance. But more than that, it's a message about God's faithful love for His people. So let me close with the words of Hosea in chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, which without planning we read in our confession. Let us read them again. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us into pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rain, rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Amen.